Wicked problems is the term used to describe some of the most challenging social issues of our time. Wicked problems require reframing of success. While never fully solved, success in wicked problems means making a difference towards or having an impact on improved outcomes and reduced risk. So many, many, many wicked problems. (laughs) And today's wicked problem is peopleism. I think I made that term up, but then I found it online somewhere. So we'll go with it. Living green or sustainably is about more than saving on your electric bill and doing your part to protect natural resources. It is about a safer and healthier life for you and your family without sacrificing style, quality or budget. This is a movement to provide all of us with clean air to breathe and water to drink safe, healthy food to eat, and places to live, and energy to run the places where we live, learn, work, and play. Join your hosts, Marla Esser-Close, the Green Home Coach, and Tony Pratt of The Sound Room to learn how everyday green homes work for you, your family, and your community. Hey, y'all, I'm Marla, the Green Home Coach, live at Shock City Studios today with Tony. Hello, everyone. It's Tony Pratt. We so enjoy these times to get in studio. Well, it's very rare. No, it's not very rare, just rare. Well, yeah, (laughs) no, over the last few years, it's been very rare. You know, you're in Oklahoma. We had the lockdowns. You know, we've mostly been recording, you know, remotely. Yet, when you do find the time to come my way of the world. Listen to you. (laughs) And when, how many times have you been my way? Is Sam at your way? No, but exactly. I, I have a studio down there I can well, use. They're sure not you do. Sam. But you don't Sam. have Sam. I don't have Sam. Sam is the third member of the family here. This is. This is. And actually, that's kind of fun because that really segues in to our topic today. And this is one I've been wanting to do for quite a while. So I'm really excited we're getting there today. And it's peopleism. And you know how I make up words. Yes, I do. So I thought I'd made up peopleism. But you didn't. I didn't. I actually found a book on Amazon called Peopleism. And the subtitle on it was A Reemergence in the Belief in People, A Chance to Humanize Ourselves Again. Well, this is going to be interesting. (laughs) I mean, well, when you think about it, this could go so many different ways. Well, like any of our podcasts don't. (laughs) Well, they're very organized. What are you talking about? Well, yeah, they are organized, but we never, I don't think. We have an agenda. the path we lay out. (laughs) Well, that's called life. I know. So, Y'all would laugh if you were seeing our notes as compared to what comes out of our mouths because there's always an unintended consequence. Of taking notes? No, of talking. Because we always find a rabbit hole that's very pertinent, but that we didn't consider. Well, all the ideas that we generate and put on the paper are for is just to start framing the conversation. It is. And this... so. For y'all that haven't been listening for a long time, this whole podcast was started as what we called Coffee and Conversation. And it was really set out to open up the conversation about a lot of topics that were hard to talk about and a lot of topics around what at the time we were calling green homes, sustainability, and has segued into healthier homes, healthier communities over time, and we've learned that these are all connected. So a lot of the wicked problems that we are seeing in our culture today also have some solutions 
based in some of these principles. Some, not all. There's lots of different solutions. But this whole idea of peopleism is kind of at the heart of a lot of the different wicked problems that we've been talking about. So in your definition, explain to the listeners exactly what is peopleism. So peopleism first occurred to me as I received some flyer in the mail about how much I should support the polar bears. And I thought, you know, I really didn't, when I first got into all this, understand the emphasis on saving the polar bears. And the more I learned, the more I learned about how interconnected very, you know, all these systems in nature are. And what was really happening is that the polar bears are suffering because the ice caps are melting. The ice caps are melting because of changes in our climate and water temperatures, which may or may not be affected by how we're living, but all these consequences stacking up on each other. And what I finally really got out of that message was that, oh, you mean if I help save polar bears, it'll help save me, people. And so I started paying attention to a lot of these different isms, environmentalism, conservatism, capitalism, any isms. And what really started hitting me was that they had different avenues of coming at it. But what we inevitably end up being most concerned about is our welfare and how we're going to thrive, survive that particular occurrence. So perhaps a way to think about this is, yes, those are many paths, but the what's in it for me still stands. And what's in it for you and me caring about what's in it for you and me is part of what seems to be getting lost in the conversation a lot. Okay. So what you're saying when you're saying what's in it for me, not me as the individual, but me as a group of people. Yeah. Collectively. The collective. But me as an individual needs me as a collective to really survive and thrive. It's challenging today for an individual or a small group of people to really survive in our modern day world. Oh, yeah. You're not just, you know, starting a little commune off the grid. You can. You can, but it's a struggle. Right. So this, all of these isms interrelate and they all tie together. And at the heart of many of these conversations about things that don't appear to affect people actually do, but that part sometimes gets lost in the message. Hence, the polar bears being saved. And the polar bears in and of themselves, they deserve to live and thrive as much as any part of our natural world does. But what I noted that got lost in the conversation is how much our natural world affects us. And that was where this whole idea of peopleism really started in my mind, was this, it's all tied together, but we don't talk about the people aspect a lot. Does that make more sense? To a point. Okay. Yeah, fair enough. Point. Fair enough. That's why these are conversations. And I shifted in how I even was talking about what I do in my services at Green Home Coach that I really realized that, yes, having a better home, having a quote-unquote green or sustainable or high performance or whatever you want to call it, home that promoted better health, better care, better ability to live well in that home environment really ended up being about people. That the place was just a way to enhance that living experience for those people. Well, even as you build a house in project management, you know, you have a new focus on who are the stakeholders. You know, it's it's not just you, the homeowner, you, the builder, and the trade partners anymore. It's the suppliers. It's the neighbors. It's people in the subdivision. It's everyone 
So there are so many stakeholders that are external that you might not even realize are stakeholders, the zoning officials. And it's more than we can really process sometimes or know how to deal with. And we're talking about one single house. Right. (laughs) Imagine bringing in a corporation and they want to build a new headquarters. Whole lot of stakeholders there. And the only way you move forward is by at least having acceptance from all of those stakeholders. You can have them that are against it, but as long as they can consent to it. I was going to say consent perhaps more than acceptance. Well. Whatever. Mencing words. Yeah. You need that. You know what? You can be against it. And you and I can have different opinions on it. But as long as you can at least consent to the project moving forward because you see the benefits, that's what I need. So I hate saying the word buy-in. Buy-in isn't really always the right term. Right. Because there's always going to be people on a project that don't buy in. Exactly. But they they go along. They go along because, okay, it is the right thing to do. I know I'm in the minority view here, but I don't agree. I've voiced my opinion. I've logged my disagreements. If you can do this, you know, meet me here, I can consent to this project. And that's a lot of times what will happen. So there's been some um, studies done on how people gauge like companies that they do business with or that they can buy things from. And one of the key indicators of, and and, uh, over many different generational cohorts, not just limited to one or two, is how well they treat people, especially their employees. Mm -hmm. And that really increased even over the pandemic as buying habits changed and people started having more time to think about what they were doing and their values and all this other stuff. But this whole idea of of people and how they were treated has really started rising to the top. And there's been a lot more, I mean, think about it, just the emphasis on fair wages and social justice and all of this that we are now starting to look at for when we buy things or when we support a company's services or choose to engage with them or who we work for, that people aspect has really gotten a lot more play over the last few years than I think it would have a decade or two ago. And now that's there's this, at least to me and a lot of the people I follow and read, there's this feeling of a shift towards that. And we're starting to look at companies and how they do these things. Well, is part of that in your mind a shift because that's just how society is going? Or is that a corporate shift dealing with the lack of workers? That's a really interesting way to look at it. I think it started as the first that there was a shift in how different groups of people were looking at companies and looking to companies to represent their values and their focus on people. But as we started going through the Great Resignation, this this all became much, much sharper in focus. Because I think Fortune's the one that always had that list of, you know, best companies to to work work for. for. Yeah. And, you know, those were the companies that you wanted to support because you knew they were treating their employees well. And maybe there wasn't, you know, something you could support because I just don't have any needs. But if you had a friend that needed something that fit in that, you would recommend them, right? Well, that was the, the idea. I'm just looking at how companies are struggling with getting workers right now. It's a weird time. Well, so let's start with the other side. You, 
why are people leaving companies? Why are they leaving their positions? Well, there's multiple reasons. And why did it heat up so much during the pandemic? You know, you've got people got comfortable. There's a lot of money that got pumped into the economy. You've got people want to work from home or they want the flexibility that they received. And now maybe the company's like, oh, yeah, you can't work from home anymore. You got to come to the office. No, thanks. I'm good. <laughs> I saved a whole lot of money because I didn't have anything to spend it on. Right. You know, that that's another big issue. While those of us that continue to work like normal, but couldn't go anywhere for a year, what do you think we did? Saved or spent. Yeah. We just banked our money to where now we could sit there and I know what, what my account looks like. Buy, buy, buy. I could buy whatever I wanted. <laughs> but more importantly, I've got the money to walk out the door if I want. Right. And I, from a lot of what I've read, a lot of people just got to the point where it, there was some straw that broke the camel's back and it just wasn't worth it anymore. Yeah. And it was a massive straw. Yeah. And it wasn't necessarily exactly the same for everybody from what I have been able to research and read. And then there was, you, you add that to this shift in how different generations think, like the probably the youngest generation in the workforce right now places a very high value on their values and experiences and not so much on stuff and some of the things that past generations or older generations have really placed higher in value. So a lot of this younger generation is coming into a freelance kind of a mindset or I'll work here a while and then if that doesn't work out, I'll go somewhere else. And there's enough workers needed that that's been doable. Well, and part of that I do think comes down to the disappearance of certain company benefits, mm. the pensions. Yeah. Right? So, But that's been happening for a long time. It, it has, but those were anchors. Yeah. You're to the point now where you don't even see that anymore except for literally union jobs or, you know, the rare, you know, legacy company. Well, if there is no anchor like that to hold a worker down, what's to keep them from saying, oh, yeah, I don't like this. I'm going to go do something else. Right? I mean, at least if you were in there, yeah, it's not the greatest thing in the world, but oh, my God, that pension. Want to find and sell the value of green homes and features in your clients' projects and homes? I'm Marla Close, the Green Home Coach, and I have built What Makes a Green Home Green audio program just for you. This program offers an easy-to-understand language audio trainings that are easy to consume on the go with resource guides to help you absorb the information and reference it easily in your day-to-day -day activity. Your investment in this green home knowledge could unlock thousands of dollars more in business for your home projects. Check out what makes a green home green and how it will help you find and sell the value of green homes and features in your clients' projects and homes. Greenhomecoach.com backslash home pro. Well, and benefits have been some of that, but that's you know, ever since we passed all the Affordable Care stuff, that's not been as big of an issue. Mm -hmm. We had more portability. And I think a lot of companies, I started a very interesting article the other day that I did not finish, but it was talking that it's not more money that's going to entice employees. It's not the fun little perks in the office that's going to attract employees. I mean, it's about the experience is where I know that's going, even though I didn't finish the article. Mm -hmm. And it's about how people treat people. Mm -hmm. And that's becoming a value that we are voicing. 
And this whole idea with mental health being now in the public conversation, that's about people and paying attention. Yeah, it's literally, hey, the salary's nice, but okay, that's step one. What else you got here? What are the ancillary benefits of coming here? What is the work-life balance? What is my happiness quotient? You hear that a lot. Yeah. The joy of being happy at work. How to build a happy environment. I'm seeing classes being built on this on the college level. I was just reading an article the other day. I was going to see if I could find it. But it was how to change up your home to be a happier place to be. Just little design tips. Mm -hmm. And with all the focus on health and wellness in our homes right now, you know, our whole idea of what a home was really shifted during and after the pandemic. And I think it was best said probably by Suzanne Shelton of the Shelton Group when she said, our homes became our hometown rather than just our home base. So rather than they provided everything that we expected in our community, where, where we worked, or where we played, where we cooked, where we entertained, where we exercised, rather than, oh, drop it home, drop the keys off, drop the shoes off, pick up, go run to the next event, mm -hmm. go run to work, go run to school, go run to... So we just, you know, our drop zones. I mean, drop zones aren't even a big word you hear in homes anymore. No, not anymore. No. It's shifted. But it's you, very interesting. You used to have that space. Oh, you had to have your drop zone. Yeah, I remember. So even how we view our homes has changed. And they're seeing this even in what people are wanting or new homes. They, we want to have these things built in. Should this happen again or should we want to make this choice, we have that option open to us. Well, I'm just going to throw this out. I think everybody was so used to running a mile a minute and then COVID hit. Great reset. A lot of people stopped. A lot of people got to relax. A lot of people got to take stock. Now, I also know that a lot of people went through financial hardship. I'm not talking about that part and I'm not minimizing that part. But the great reset, the great resignation that's something different. That was people that were not affected work-wise. They just felt whether it was, I want to work from home because I got used to it. I don't want to go back to the office. Or I was doing retail and I had to deal with people during all this. And for some reason, and you know this and I know this, we have this conversation. A lot of people forgot how to act in public. <laughs> True. That is probably the most polite way I can put it. Yeah. I see it every day because yeah. I continue to work in public during all of this. And... Just like we talked about the change of weather in earlier podcast episodes, you could see the change in personalities in people. That's, yeah, that's a very interesting thought. Think of some of the places that are struggling oh, I know. to find workers. Restaurant, retail. Public facing. You got it. That's the common denominator. And I, I've heard it from a number of people that now that you say that, a number of people in those industries that have just said, it's not worth it anymore. No. I don't get paid enough. It's not. And these are some of our lowest paying jobs and our highest demand. And some of those jobs were essential and never had an option to work from home or to, in some cases, not work. And many of them jeopardized their own health and safety in order to provide these services. You know, I remember last year when things started to reopen again and we were going to lunch across the street from our office. The restaurant was owned by somebody I went to high school with. So local business want to support them. And we're in there and every table is full. It's not a huge restaurant. There was maybe 10 to 12 tables in there. One waiter, one server. 
Yikes. And he had it down pat of his pattern, just each table, right? And you could see what was going on. Hey, he's going to get to me when he gets to me. I understand that. I know exactly how he's doing it. He's just taking one table at a time, starting at the one corner and working his way around the room. All the tables were fine, except for one. It was two older gentlemen, and they just could not believe that they were being ignored and had to wait for these other tables before he would come back. Well, and it's hard if you're used to having a certain level of service. I understand that. Adapting is challenging, and the older you get, I think you get a little more set in your ways. (laughs) However, we have to understand that the old normal and the new normal are no longer in alignment. No, they are not. And this whole focus on people, a lot of it has been grace. Mm -hmm. We need to find a lot of grace and practice it. That was my word for 2021 was grace. And I think that's a word I want to continue. It should be patience. Patience. Yeah. I quit praying for patience a while ago when we just kept getting more opportunities to practice. (laughs) But patience is helpful. And I think remembering that all of our isms end up circling back to us as people, as individuals, as a society, as a culture, helps us to put things in context. And we're even finding that with you know, things that we think just affect us don't. I mean, if I choose to buy a product that is unhealthy for me, chances are it was unhealthy for the people producing it yeah. that were perhaps getting the raw materials for it and that there's this chain you know, of actions that are all related. So sometimes it's not just thinking about yourself. Sometimes it's thinking about others. Well, we don't all live in a bubble. So no, if it affects most of one, us don't. <laughs> yeah, if it affects one of us, right. it affects most of us. So this whole idea of putting people first, A, is hard. And as our society has become more divisive, that has become even more challenging. And I think all of us have an opportunity to be called upon to take that high ground and remember people first. And honestly, you know, that's easier said than done many times. Mm -hmm. And it's very hard sometimes to listen and to be a part of a bigger conversation than it is to be right or to have your way. And of course, this all centers back to something that we have said on this podcast for years now is, you know, you have an opportunity to put the problem in front of you, not between you. And, And that is an act of peopleism to me is by doing that. I would agree. And, you know, I think also an act of peopleism would be understanding that there are multiple points of view Mm -hmm. and there are no absolutes. And even though you think you are a good person, you could be wrong. (laughs) We all could be wrong. But that's what it comes down to. And that's why we hold on to whatever beliefs we have. And, And so all of us have likely experienced a temper tantrum. At some point in the past few years, and if it wasn't us, few years, few hours. If it was, yeah, well, <laughs> if it wasn't us having the temper tantrum, it may be us watching someone have a temper tantrum, and many of those have hit the news and the social media. So there's just been this normalizing of having a temper tantrum, and the interesting side effect of that is that it's become somewhat expected, and it's something that you know. If I have a little temper tantrum, I'm kind of embarrassed about it, you know? I don't. That's not who I want to be. That's not who I am. And hopefully they're all just little tiny ones. 
But now we see these big public displays on airplanes and in shopping malls and restaurants where people are losing patience and not understanding the situation or not taking the time to seek to understand that situation. And they're focused so much on their own framework that the bigger picture is out of focus. So the whole idea of peopleism to me came about from that place. Yeah, I can see that. That place. And our health and well-being is not dependent just on our own actions. Right, because those people that had to be around whatever temper tantrum happens, it's not the person having it that's being affected. It's the people that it's directed to or those that have to witness it. <laughs> you have a direct So I'm really sorry response. to anybody that I've thrown a temper tantrum in front of. I hope they're far and few between these days. I mean, I need therapy, but I don't know about the rest of them. Yeah, well, <laughs> I think a lot of us have needed therapy these days. There's just been a lot to process. Yeah, yeah. There's been a lot to process. And you know that Scott and I, my husband and I, went through some pretty sizable challenges and... It was kind of funny because when the pandemic first started, we felt like everybody else had just climbed on in there with us. And But what was really kind of a relief about all that is that it was not just us in that boat anymore. Right. Exactly. And it was, kind of, it was kind of like, oh, yay, we're not by ourselves. We're normal. <laughs> yeah, for whatever normal is, right? But I think those experiences, especially what he and I were experiencing prior to the pandemic, gave us a lot of empathy and allowed us to come from a much more gentle place. And I'm very grateful for that. It's enabled, I think, me to be hopefully a better mentor and a better coach. And that's important to me. And that's part of my business and part of who I am. And I hope that more of us can find that in our paths and find that in our daily lives. You know, it's hard because we spent years prior to all this just trying to stay on top of everything. And it's very hard for people to look introspectively at themselves and really think about things. So it's an action we are all going to have to take and it's going to have to become a behavior. Mm -hmm. You know, interestingly enough, especially change in the workplace typically comes or starts with the newest generation to come into the workforce. And then it filters its way up into the older generations in the workforce. And this is one that I think we all can stand to benefit from that our younger generation of workers has brought to the table. And that's some balance and in sticking to your values and being okay to talk about the things that are, you know, things we need to be transparent about. And that's uncomfortable for a lot of other generations. Which Those is why these things to, seep up the you chain. You show up to work, you do your job, you go home, you don't talk about things. All right. There's definitely change afoot. Uh, COVID brought many things that were already changing into much faster change. And, you know, this whole idea of remote work. So interestingly enough, I wrote my college, one of my college thesis, senior papers, whatever we call it, not thesis, but I, two big college projects to graduate. And one of them was on telecommuting back in the 80s. And I ended up being one of the earlier employees with IBM to telecommute when my daughter was born. And so this whole idea of working from home has been completely normal to me for a long time. And I laughed because after the pandemic, I didn't have to teach people how to do Zoom anymore. No, you did not. (laughs) So 
I was like, okay, well, that's a benefit. But there were all these little, you know, working in a more online world, there were things that my world knew and had been doing for a long time. And all of a sudden, it was like the whole world came there. And but it was this shared empathy. Oh, this is what you've been doing. Well, and part of it was the old mentality of, if I'm not there to watch over you, how can I trust you're going to get your work done? That was the biggest debate mm-hmm. in that paper because I had been corresponding with a woman that was working on her doctoral but, thesis. But and know, that was the biggest point of debate. But you know what that means? That means that that company doesn't understand metrics and how to measure performance. Because mm-hmm. if you can measure performance, yep. I don't need to see you at all. Right. I joke with my team. They laugh because I'm a numbers guy. I'm like, I never need to know what you're doing because the next week I go over every job we're on and I look at the numbers. Well, and like when I was in sales, basically, if you're in the office, you're not out selling. Yeah. If you're in service, if you're in the office, you're not out performing your services. Yeah. Shouldn't be in the office anyway. Right. But gauging someone's performance on whether or not you see their eyeballs is not very productive. But it's easy. It is easy. It's easy. And if you're here, you must be doing your job. Maybe that's a factor of peopleism is that we need to look beyond the easy. I would think so. And that's a big part of where that transparency comes in, too. Trust but verify. Trust but verify. It's an important aspect in pretty much all of our life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. And, you know, second chances, they're golden. Because we don't all do it right the first time. Matter of fact, most of us don't. Oh, mistakes are learning experiences. And that's where that grace comes in. So, Well, no, you just have to accept it. I mean, you know, I joke with any new person that comes onto my team, you know, we're in construction. For the next six months, you're going to do nothing but make mistakes. And we're going to look at every one of them and view it as a teaching opportunity. Or is this something you need training on? Or is this something that you just can't get your head wrapped around? We'll figure it out. And we'll correct it. And I'm going to guess that that is an equality about your company that is very attractive to potential employees. Well, I can't speak for the entire part of the company. I can speak my division. Yeah. yeah. I would think so because nobody's going to get yelled at for making a mistake. We all make them. Nobody's going to get fired for making a mistake. We make them. You know, you work on between five and 600 homes a year. Yeah. There's going to be a mistake somewhere. Well... And I think if you have a joined purpose or a common purpose, mm-hmm. which organizations are, yeah, you know, we you all do. have a purpose. And if everyone that is working understands their purpose and how they contribute to the overall big purpose, that makes it a lot better. That's peopleism. That's like everybody's there for a reason and we all have our parts. We sit in a meeting and every phase of that job is in that meeting. Right. And the people that are installing it, the people that are designing it, the people that are scheduling it, they're all together. So if there's an issue that pops up or a mistake that pops up, we all get to look at it and we all get to discuss it. And we all can see how, hey, my mistake affected Marla. And how do we get past that? How do we fix that? What can we do to mitigate that? You know, it's very easy. And it leads to an open discussion and a transparent workplace because there's no hiding anything. Which is how we fix problems. So that's why this whole idea of peopleism is so important because we have a lot of things to work on. And if we can get people working together in transparency with purpose, we have opportunities to go solve problems. That's really what it comes down to. Sounds about right. I know. It's really not so hard when you think about it. No, it's just a different way of thinking. But the devil's in the details. (laughs) Always is.
hey, we want to know what y'all think about this. We've uh, enjoyed opening up Wicked Problems and some conversations that are really a little uncomfortable, but we want to know what you think. Leave us a comment. Give us your Wicked Problem that you'd like to hear us chat about. And in the meanwhile, tune in next time. That wraps this episode of the Everyday Green Home Podcast. Get the show notes with all the resources mentioned in this episode. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. Want more? Join the Love Your Everyday Green Home private Facebook group for more resources and behind-the-scenes insights. And remember that living a little better and greener is easier than you think.